1: Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. When we say Jesus Christ, when we're saying Jesus the sent one by that second word Christ, he was sent by God the Father with these three words about Jacob, bring him home. Bring him back. Bring him back again. That's why when Jesus was here, what he said about his, the reason he was here in Matthew 15, 24, Matthew 15, 24, he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because he was sent by God the Father to bring them back, bring them home. And this is what we see in the heart of God the Father. In this, and we see this heart in God the Father as we look at the parable of the prodigal son and we look at the father of the prodigal son and we can see that father coming out there to that hillside, just straining his eyes every day and praying to God, oh God, bring him back, bring him home, he's left, bring him home. That's the heart of God for Israel as he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring him home was the prayer of the father of the prodigal son. Bring him home is what Jesus Christ was sent to earth for. Bring him home was the prayer of Jean Valjean in Les Miserables and it gives us just a little picture of the heart of God in this chapter three of Joel. Bring him home and you see within that heart of that man, bring him home, it's just a little picture of what God the Father turned to Jesus Christ when he sent him to earth and he said, about Jacob, about Israel, about the Jewish people, bring them home, bring them home. Now God says in the word here, bring him home again, again. He's talking about this has happened before in verse one, I shall bring again. God says that history is going to repeat itself. Israel was brought out from their captivity in Egypt he did it in Egypt, and God will bring his people one more time again, he says, out from the captivity. But this time, the captivity that he's referring to here is the captivity of sin. As Jesus said in John eight thirty four. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. There's an enslavement to sin. Sin is not just something you walk into, it's quicksand. This is a captivity of unbelief. Romans eleven twenty. 20, Romans eleven twenty. 20. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off and thou standest by faith. Romans eleven twenty three. 23. They also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. God is able to graft them in again. Unbelief has caused the Jewish people to leave God, to depart from God. Hebrews 3, 12, Hebrews 3, 12. Take heed, brethren, Lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief has blocked the Jewish people from entering into heaven. Hebrews 3.19, Hebrews 3.19. They could not enter in because of unbelief. And now belief will come to the Jewish people. Belief that Jesus Christ is their God And that belief will bring the Jewish people to no longer be away from home, but they'll be brought home. It'll make them to become the people of God. And that will happen when the Jewish people believe the meaning of the name of the author of this book, Joel, which means Jehovah is God. Jehovah Jesus is God. And he's predicting this in Zechariah 13.9, Zechariah 13.9, when he says, I'll bring the third part through the fire and we'll refine them as silver as we find and we'll try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name. I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. They shall say, the Lord is my God. They shall say, Joel. They shall say, Jehovah is God. Jehovah Jesus is God. We've all seen the movies of the Holocaust, we'll never forget, never forget, never forget, the Holocaust, terrible. Six million Jews were killed, there were 18 million Jews at that time before, and Hitler killed one third. And we call it the Holocaust. What is referred to here in Zechariah 13.9 is not one third, it's two thirds. It's one third that survive. This is double the Holocaust, and there will be an outcome of this, and this is what's gonna take for God to bring them home. Joel Joel 3.2 says that I will also gather all nations. All nations indicates all the world, and when they're all gathered together, there'll be a judgment. There'll be a judgment, Zechariah 12.3, Zechariah 12.3, and that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, and that all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth shall be gathered together against it. This is all about the nations and what they will do against the Jewish people. Because when God brings all the nations together against Israel, what's gonna happen is when they touch Israel, God says, you're touching a special part of me in Zechariah 2.8, Zechariah 2.8. He says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, after glory... After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, he that toucheth you touches the apple of his eyes. God will bring these nations and when they go against the Jewish people, God says, you are touching the center of my eye. And this will all happen in one place, in a place called the Jezreel Valley or the Valley of Jehoshaphat in the land of Israel. This judgment will occur there. They will be brought there they will do these crimes against the Jewish people and there they will be judged in that same valley. It's called in this chapter here, the Valley of Decision. Reminds me so much of a, when I was in Ethiopia, there was a murder case. It was about 60 miles south from where our Scandwise plant was and we're in Budajira. It was in a, a larger town called Awasa, right by the lake of Awasa, where a murderer had stabbed a woman to death with a knife and in that very, it was so dramatic, in that very spot where the lady's blood was shed on the ground, that very ground, they did what they do in Ethiopia. They set up a tent over her over her blood, right there. And you know what they did in that tent? They held court. That was the place of the court. And the witnesses came forward, not some sterile place down on Front Street called the California Superior Court, but in the very spot with her blood on the ground, they held court. And the witnesses came forward and they gave testimony right over the spot where her blood was, as if her blood was crying out, justice, justice, I demand justice for my blood. And the murderer was convicted of killing the woman and then, right on that very spot, right on that very spot, the tent was taken down. The firing squad came, and they killed him. Within three days, right, he fell right in the place where the victim fell. Does anyone need to tell you why there's not a lot of murders in Ethiopia? The point is that the, the judgment was carried out where the crime occurred. And this is the case here, that God is going to judge the nations in the very spot where they committed these crimes against the Jewish people. And when the nations are assembled in this valley of Jezreel and the scene of the crime is there, God says in verse 2, in verse 2, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people, for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Just as in Ethiopia, the court is set up in the scene of the crime in the Valley of Jezreel. And the word plead, God says, I will plead for my people. It's a legal term. It's a legal term. When it comes time for the prosecution to lay out the court, it's called a pleading. It's called a pleading. And who is the lawyer for the Jewish people in this court trial? God himself God says I will plead for my people for my heritage and he says in Psalm 102:13 Psalm 102:13 thou shalt arise and have mercy upon zion for the time to favor her yea the set time is come so now the court is in session there and God stands up and calls Israel his people calls Israel his heritage as he defends them, as he promised he would in Exodus 195, Exodus 19:5. Now, therefore, if you'll obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. Deuteronomy 32, 9, Deuteronomy 32-:9: The Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. And then God prepares to fight for Israel. He calls on the enemies of Israel. He says in verse 9 here, chapter 3, verse 9, verse 9. He says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up, ye mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. So here's God now. God is now going from being the advocate, the lawyer, to, as it says in Exodus 3:13, what happened when Moses came, when God came to Moses as the burning bush? Moses said, okay, you want me to go to Israel? What's your name? What's your name? Tell me what your name is. And one of the names that God gave in Exodus 3.13, this is when Moses said, Exodus 3.13, Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me, they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And a few chapters later in Exodus 15.3, Exodus 15.3, God gave one of his names. He says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Psalm 70, 12, 24, 7, Psalm 24, 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. That's how we see Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, we see him as the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Luke, Revelation nineteen eleven. I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that which with it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. He that treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. So in verse 9, in verse 9 of this chapter, Joel 3, verse 9, when he says, prepare war, He's saying, let the nations come to war with God. Just like it says in Psalm 2, verse 1, Psalm 2, verse 1, why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder, cast away their cords. And here in this chapter, God's saying, come, make your rage against God, come, Imagine you can overthrow God just like the people at the Tower of Babel thought that they could build a tower that would reach God's throne so they could overthrow God. Come, he says, kings of the earth. Come, rulers together. Come against Christ. Come to have your restraints that God has put on you. Cast away. Come. And this is what God is saying in verse nine. He calls on his enemies. Go ahead, prepare for war. He says says in verse nine, let them come up come up against God. God says he's ready to meet them in the battlefield, in the scene of the crime, in the valley of Jezreel. God says, you say you don't have weapons to fight God with? No problem, God says. Take your plows, refashion them into swords. I'll wait till they're ready. Verse 10, verse 10, beat your plows, shares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I'm strong. God's saying, is any of the nations who have fought against the Jewish people now saying we are weak? God says, be strong. Just say, I am strong. And now is in that court. God calls for the accused to step forward. Verse 12, verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened. Come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Now he takes his place as the judge. This is the summons to appear in court. Whether a person wants to or does not want to, they will appear in this court date. And God not only defends Israel, but God now sits as the judge in verse 12. Verse 12, there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. And just as that tent court was set up in Ethiopia, there was the defendant, there was his lawyer, there was the prosecutor representing the family of the murdered woman, and there sat the judge to hear each side and then pronounced the judgment and the sentencing. And looking at the judge in that tent was a real, there sits the judge. And that's exactly the scene in verse 12. Verse 12, let the heathen be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There will I sit to judge all the nations round about. And now comes the sentence. The sentence comes in verse 13. Verse 13, put ye in the sickle, The harvest is ripe, come, get you down. The press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Just as with the Amorites, God says, the cup of iniquity had reached its brim. It was now overflowing. And this is what Christ spoke of when he said in Matthew 13, 39, Matthew 13, 39. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and which do iniquity, and cast them into a furnace of fire where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Just as in Revelation 14, Revelation 14, 14, where John, he's in Revelation. So many times John says, I looked and I saw, I looked and I saw. He was surprised with everything he saw. That's why it's called the Revelation was shown to him, Revelation 14, 14. I looked and saw, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the crowd, thrust in thy sickle, reap. The time has come for thee to reap the harvest. The earth is ripe. He that sat on the cloud, thrust in the sickle on the earth. The earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, He also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Rusk in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vines of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in a sickle unto the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridles by the space of a 1,600 furlongs. And the assembled there are not just a few people. Verse 14, verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That's what the Jezreel is called. That's what the valley of Jezreel is called, the new name. It indicates that a decision, a court decision will be made there. This is the Valley of Jezreel because God is going to decide what to do with the nations that have mistreated his people, the Jews. And the decision is only one-sided. It's God's decision. Today, we live in a day when man makes the decision to either come to Christ or not to come to Christ. That's 110% man's decision. But after man makes his decision... God says, today, what will you do with Jesus? What will your answer be? Neutral you cannot be. Someday you'll be asking, what will he do with me? And the sentence is, verse 15, verse 15, the sun, the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. Today, we know a wonderful light of the sun the moon, the stars, we love it, we love those lights, but there's coming a day when those lights will be put out, they'll be put out. And hell is a place of outer darkness, no sun, no moon, no stars. But heaven is a place of one light, an everlasting light, Isaiah 60, verse 19, Isaiah 61, 19, the sun shall be no more thy light by day, Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Revelation 21, 23, Revelation 21, 23. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 22:4. Revelation 22:4. They shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. But in hell, Matthew 8:12, Matthew 8:12, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. From this valley of Jezreel, Jehovah Jesus moves on to Jerusalem and Mount Zion, where he says in verse 16, verse 16, the Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. From that same hill where they crucified Jehovah Jesus, the site of the crime, from that same place where he was resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ will return and roar like a lion against the nations that have assembled themselves to destroy the Jewish people. The Lord has so long kept himself silent. He's held his peace, but now no longer. He roars, Psalm 50, verse five, Psalm 50, verse five. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him it shall be very tempestuous round about him. Psalm 50, verse 21, Psalm 50, verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now the Jewish people will see at this point Jesus Christ like they've never seen him before in verse 16. Now the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. This is the time when Jesus Christ will be the ha of the Jewish people. Jesus Christ will be the strength of his people. Actually, this Hebrew word hope, it's, another, it's not hope, it's not really tikva. It's another word, it's makash. And it means a shelter or a harbor or a place that you retreat into it to avoid a storm. And that's who God is for us. That's who God will be for them, a place of retreat. Just like the, the hymn says, the Lord's our rock. In him we hide. He's a shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill be tied, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. And when the Jewish people come to know what they do not now know, They shall know the meaning of the name of this book, Joel, that Jehovah is God, that Jesus is God. Verse 17, verse 17. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. We call it the holy land today. It's so far from holy. The land of Israel is so far from being a holy land Israel wants to make Tel Aviv the gay capital of the world. Naked people walk the parade, the gay pride parade. Of all the words, pride. Right out of the pit of hell. These six things does the Lord hate. A proud look. Why would they choose pride? Because the speaker of the Knesset House, he spoke at the gay pride parade in Tel Aviv. It's not a holy land. It's a land of sin and defilement. But it's all gonna change. It's all gonna change when this judgment does. In verse 17, verse 17, then shall Jerusalem be holy. Holiness comes from knowing Jesus Christ. The more a person knows Jesus Christ, the more his life will be transformed into a life of holiness. 2 Peter 1.3, 2 Peter 1.3, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto a life and godliness through the knowledge of him hath he called us to glory and virtue. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org For other free resources email us at tomcantor at or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
0: What are you doing Sunday nights?